Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. It's the final day of the National Ethanol Conference here in Houston, Texas, and uh, we are looking forward to a big show today. We're going to talk a little bit later with USDA Undersecretary Ted McKinney, talk about export possibilities for ethanol. John Doggett, the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, is going to <laughs> National Cattlemen's Beef Association. That was last week. Yeah. Yeah, he's been there, right? <laughs> That's right. CEO of the National Corn Growers Association will be joining us, and also Neil Curler, who's the uh, chairman of the Renewable Fuels Association. So we've got a big show lined up here in Houston. Glad to start things off, though, with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, good to see you. Been a good meeting. It's been a great meeting, Mike, and, and thanks for being here. Uh, you know, we've, I think, had a better agenda and, and a just a broader diversity of topics this year than than we've maybe ever had. I mean, right now uh, we're hearing from uh, General Electric and Lonza Tech and Clear Flame Energy about, uh, you know, alternative uses for ethanol and how can we use ethanol in diesel applications and really looking forward to to other uses and other markets for ethanol. Uh, That's just one example of of the sorts of things we've been talking about this week. You gave your state of the industry address yesterday and you uh, really emphasize the need to focus forward. I mean, 2019 right. was a tough year for the ethanol industry, even though you've got the numbers showing some good economic uh, activity uh, generated by the ethanol industry. But I know right. you and those here and those in the industry are hopeful that 2020 will be a bounce-back year. We really are expecting uh, that 2020 is going to be a, a rebound year for the industry. 2019 was very challenging. Uh, some of the worst margins and, and uh, most challenging economics that we've seen in the industry's history. Uh, and we you know, we know the reasons for that. Uh, but we think as 2019 came to a close, we had some real significant wins. Uh, and then we had the big 10th, court, uh, 10th Circuit Court decision uh, in late January. So we think you know, things are shaping up for 2020 to be a much better year for the industry, and we're off to a pretty good start. We do not yet know how that court decision will impact EPA's handling of the small refinery exemptions. But there is hope, right, that that will make them take a harder look at this and maybe change course. Right. Yeah, the Tenth Circuit Court found that EPA inappropriately issued three uh, specific exemptions to three specific refiners in 2016. But we think the implications of that court decision go far beyond those three refineries. Um, the, the lead attorney who argued that case for us was here yesterday and shared his analysis. And, in fact, we, we, you know, we heard publicly for the first time uh, from Administrator Wheeler just late last week. Uh, and he didn't say much about the case, but he did say that you know, EPA is taking a hard look at it. And, and uh, they do believe that it could have implications broadly for all small refiners. So for those in the ethanol industry looking for a bounce back year this year, the three areas that offer the most hope would be, I would say, exports, the possibility there, yep. the small refinery exemptions that we just talked about, and the other would be the opportunities that low-carbon fuel policy is now opening up to the industry. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think those are three top priorities for us. Uh, trade, you know, is is probably the uh, the biggest opportunity in the near term to really give the industry a shot in the arm and, and restore some of that export demand that we lost last year. Uh, you know, we're going to be hearing from Undersecretary McKinney here uh, shortly, and I know he's going to be on your show later. 
um, you know, if we could swing the door back open in China, uh, or if we could get things back to a free and fair trade relationship in Brazil, uh, if we can get more volume into Mexico, uh, you know, any of those three markets alone uh, could really turn the tides in, in the ethanol industry and help things out very quickly. Uh, but, yeah, you, you combine that with EPA finally strictly enforcing the 15 billion gallon requirement under the RFS, not eroding the standards with, with SREs, uh, it could be a good year for, for the industry. And then, like you said, on top of that, um, there's some real movement in developing new state low carbon fuel standard programs uh, where ethanol producers are also being paid or, or incentivized um, to reduce the carbon intensity of their ethanol. And we've seen you know, the, the, the existing programs in California and Oregon uh, have turned out to be you know, beneficial policies and, and programs for our industry. Yeah, that holds some potential there, and we'll we'll be watching that closely. I know you're very active in that area. Yeah. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. You mentioned Brazil. <laughs> That's an interesting situation. An ethanol um, producer, obviously, mm-hmm. but can also be an ethanol market. So competitor or market or both? Well, it, it, it is both, and, and we've always said with Brazil, look, we, we want to work together with them. Uh, to grow demand globally for ethanol, uh, that's that's good for everybody. That you know that rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, but we've got to have our own house in order with our own relationship between us and Brazil uh, before we can go out and, and work together on expanding global markets. And and unfortunately, what we have right now is you know Brazil has a tariff rate quota and a twenty percent tariff on over quota ethanol that that's coming from the U.S. into that marketplace, and that you know effectively. Uh, was the reason that we saw 200 million gallons less of exports uh, to Brazil in, in 2019. Uh, so we're, we're, you know, we're working with the Brazilians. Our government is working with the Brazilian government uh, to try and return to that free and fair trade and, and open trading relationship we had with Brazil uh, really from 2012 through about 2017. I'm putting together, a, I'm writing a commentary uh, about the ethanol industry and from this meeting, and I, I think I'm going to entitle it turning the corner again or turning yeah. another corner it seems like over the years this industry has had to turn a lot of corners sometimes right. uh ran smack right into a, a wall or an oncoming train it seemed like but other times turn that corner and all of a sudden things opened up and that's right the, the road seemed a lot smoother this will be an interesting year to see what's around the corner it, it will and we have positive signs that what's around the corner is going to be good for the industry but like you said you, you never know uh you know the old saying that uh you want to make sure that the light at the end of the tunnel is not a the headlight on a train. Uh, that's that's been true for our industry many times in the past. Uh, but I do feel like we're we're emerging from a uh, from a rough patch for the industry, and it does feel like things are improving, or at least have the uh, the potential to improve greatly uh, because of some of the developments we've seen here in the last few months. Attendance up a little bit here. Uh, I think that court ruling really helped, didn't it? Absolutely. And uh, Cautious optimism, would you say? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's a good way of characterizing the the, the mood here. Uh, cautious optimism. Um, you know, we are pleased that our attendance is up a little bit. Um, I think being here in Houston, we have more attendees from the oil and gas industry. We're sort of right in the middle of, you know, the the, the belly of the beast, I guess, if you if you will, um, which is you know which is good. I mean, they're they're our competitors, but they're also our customers, and we've got to find common ground. Uh, and talk about how we can work together with 
our fellow liquid fuel producers. And you had a chance yesterday to thank former President Bush for signing the RFS. I mean, it was uh, just a phenomenal morning yesterday to have President George W. Bush here. Uh, he, he, of course, uh, was largely responsible for establishing the RFS in the first place. So we thought it was fitting that we would uh, pay tribute to him on the 15th anniversary of the original RFS. It was a wonderful very good. Let's have a good 2020. All right. Thanks, Mike, so much. And for the Cardinals, too. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Jeff Cooper, President, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, USDA Undersecretary Ted McKinney joins us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, people are increasingly interested in uh, the health of, of the food that they consume, the impact on the environment. So whether you're producing crops or animals or produce, whatever it happens to be, there's a growing concern about, is this food good for me and is this food good for the environment? Is our production practices good for the environment? So understanding that that's going to continue to increase dramatically really is a, is a signal to those in agriculture that we need to continue to engage, we need to continue to find the best possible strategies, and then remain committed to it over time. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes, because those in farming and agriculture are busy farming, it's difficult to stay engaged. But we've got to be engaged and stay there if we want to be successful. All right, Charlie, thank you very much. Always enjoy it. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Charlie Arnott, CEO for the Center for Food Integrity, joining us on AOA. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you what you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests who are important to the ag industry. It's information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're at the National Ethanol Conference in Houston. Joined now by Ted McKinney, USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Affairs. Good to see you again. Hello, Mike. How are you? Very good. Last time we talked, we it was November, and we were talking about the possibility of getting the, these trade deals wrapped up, like China and USMCA. Well, now those uh, have been signed. Now, of course, uh, we're waiting for Canada to uh, approve uh, USMCA and waiting to see about China um meeting its obligations under the phase one trade deal how concerned should we be about the coronavirus uh, situation slowing those purchases uh, under that phase one trade deal sure well it was a very uh, public signing a very public agreement that they've signed and so our hope uh, certainly our intent is that china would hold to that commitment I can say that we talked to a number of uh, companies there that love the quality and the safety, some cases the volumes of our products, so we know that there's a desire, so we just hope it gets there. It's possible that the coronavirus, particularly if it extends on uh, uh, very long, could affect it, but the key note is that, uh, to my understanding, our colleagues at the U.S. Trade Reps Office have not yet received any formal request to activate a clause that's, you know, natural disasters and the like. It's possible, but they haven't yet. It's interesting that we're here at the ethanol conference because if they're looking for something they can buy in volume and, and build up, not completely to that 40, 50 billion, but sure go a long way. It's none other than this product. Well, that's the big question. Yes. I know those in attendance here have, and we'll be asking you, Have you? has there been any conversation about them starting to buy ethanol? There, there haven't, and in fairness to them, it was just after the January 15 signing that the coronavirus kicked in. I would also like to say that there were plans being made to finish out some details. This is mostly USDA's kind of work, whether it's our Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, our Food Safety Inspection Service. I was going to be there last week, and that got canceled. So um, we hope, and then coronavirus set in. So I, I'll give them a little bit of a break. But boy, here pretty soon, if you're going to be buying 40 to 50 billion, it better start quickly. Obviously, it's a serious situation with the coronavirus, and uh, hopefully, we hope and pray they'll get this under control very very soon we have communicated that to them yep that's you don't wish that on anybody uh, nobody talking with usda undersecretary ted mckinney uh we hear a lot about talks with uh, europe and i think those in agriculture are kind of s- skeptical because of all the problems we've had with europe on on so many ag fronts what do you see coming as far as ag trade with europe yes Well, they continue to hold at some level to their uh, stated desire that a deal be reached minus ag. Then there are shades uh, that suggest that that's modified some. I know there's been some discussions uh, publicly covered by uh, Ambassador Lighthizer from USTR with uh, Commissioner Phil Hogan, who now leads trade, did lead ag in the EU. 
And so we'll have to see what comes out of that. The issue, though, is the precautionary principle, which sounds like a good thing, but is absolutely a horrific thing for the world, continues to get in the way. It has a stranglehold on Europe. Maybe UK is soon to be the exception. We hope that. And it's just choking things. Every time we find access for a a product of one form or another, the precautionary principle, funny how it works, finds a way to negate that sale and we get shut out. We've been flat for six years in U.S. food and ag sales to Europe. Theirs continues to climb here. So a day of reckoning is coming, absolutely unequivocally. Secretary Perdue was there recently. Mm-hmm. I, I thought he, he, he laid it out pretty bluntly to them what the needed to happen. That's correct. Yes, we're, we're continuing to focus. Let me be clear. We want to do a deal with them. We have said that. There is so much that binds our two parts of the world, no doubt about it, not the least being NATO and a couple world wars not, and, and many other things. But you know what? Uh, with that precautionary principle, it's uh, protectionism, protectionism at its finest, and they're finding ways to block just about everything except for those few things that they really need and want. And that is not acceptable trade in the eyes of our president, my secretary, and certainly I am of that view. Let's look at some other markets you're working on. India, are we getting close to a deal with them or not? Well, you never know with India. I I tell my colleagues in food and agriculture that if they aren't in India, they better start putting a toe, an ankle, maybe a knee into that. If you're a seasoned veteran with India, you can go higher. You can go more. But, but I remain optimistic. When I think of the geopolitical aspects of India, we are close to them, they're close to us. Our departments of defense work very closely together. They want to serve as a bit of a buffer uh, with China. They are. And so I saw that uh, the president, our President Trump, has confirmed he will be there the last week in February. That's a very positive sign, because usually when you go to a country and when you're received in a country, you come bearing gifts. Well, maybe, just maybe, some of that would be a deal of some sort with agriculture. We have been working on that with USTR, but it's got to come to fruition. What products in particular would be going? Oh, there there are many. Uh, You know, ethanol is a part of that, but it's not done yet, so I I won't go any further because I don't know... Uh, what's in ink and what's in pencil, if I can use that example. But I'll just say this. We're thrilled that uh, there has been at least some greater willingness to sit down because our two countries should absolutely be the best of friends, and that includes food and agriculture. Is it safe to say, and it's certainly that's of interest to this group here, that ethanol could be a part of trade with several countries oh. going forward? Oh my, yes. And that's why uh, that's why I was so excited to be able to make it here. I've missed a couple others because of conflicting international travel. Yes, big deals, small deals, ethanol can certainly play. And particularly when you look at the condition of the air quality in some of the cities. I'll just use India and China particularly. Holy smokes, if there's a product they need, it's an ethanol. The further thing is that at least at this price, and I think the price for some time to come... It's a benefit to their consumers. It's less costly than standard gasoline with an MTBE. Uh, So you bet we do not lose a single opportunity to talk about ethanol in all these discussions. And that's the formal big free trade agreements, but also some that we're just starting the negotiations and discussions. Hearing about talks with Kenya. Tell us about those. 
Well, it's a very important that we get to Kenya, and many of us have felt that way for several reasons. We know that many businesses who tried that in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even the early 2000s, things like corruption at the ports, how you get your product in, they just didn't want to face that ethical decision. So it has, it has caused problems for Africa themselves. But a lot of that has been changing uh, for the better, we think. And so we want to make sure we're doing that. African countries want us to come in. They, like we admire them, they admire our ethics, our way of business, our handshake is our bond. All the while, China has been going in, and um, it's not always so pleasant. Uh, You know, it's a long IOU on those loans that China offers. I'll, I'll refrain from saying it's a control thing, but maybe pretty close. So they've invited us in. And so the identification was that Kenya is the one that is the most ready, the most desirous of doing a free trade agreement with the U.S., and so USTR announced it. My team's been at work for some time looking at what might be the products of exchange, what might be the policies that we can recommend that USTR consider. So we're very excited, and it will not be the last. We're very ex- In fact, I'm leading an ag trade mission here in a month or so to Morocco, so doing northern Africa. And then last year, uh, Deputy Secretary Sensky led an ag trade mission at our request to Ghana, the western uh, tip. So we're, we're kind of all in, and now we're working closely with State Department, with the Department of Commerce, at some level USTR, uh, to dive even more deeply on larger, broad, cross-functional projects. So we're all in on Africa, or at least getting there. Real quick, uh, some concerns with the ethanol industry, some dealings with Brazil, some tariff issues. <laughs> anything you can tell us on that? Well, I tell you, if there's anything that just burns my backside, it is the flip that uh, Brazil did when they lobbied us so hard 10 years ago to lose our tariffs, reduce those, let the consumer benefit. My goodness, there were advertisements down in the subway metro stations. They were so aggressive. And now for them to put a tariff up, it just it just galls me. That said, we have a new minister of ag down there. We respect Minister Teresa Cristina a great deal. She knows ag cold. She did lead the effort to go from 600 to 750 million liters, and we're working on more later. Good to see you again, sir. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you very much. Lots going on with trade. That's USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Affairs, Ted McKinney, joining us here at the National Ethanol Conference in Houston. Stay with us. More to come on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
And welcome back. Final day of the National Ethanol Conference here in Houston. Joined now by John Doggett, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I keep saying no, that. What, 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 I used That's to the second with, time I've done that. And, yeah, yeah. you used to. But I used to. And back before it was uh, Cattlemen's Beef Association, National Cattlemen's Association. I'm having flashbacks here. You know, all you are, but I was, I was only 12 years old when I did that. <laughs> Mike, so, you know. uh, okay, let's do this again. John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. How's that? That's much better. Okay. Um, here at the ethanol conference talked about this with jeff cooper earlier uh there's there's some optimism that 2020 is going to be a a rebound year for the for the ethanol industry hopefully some things get straightened out with small refinery exemptions there's possibility of greater exports of ethanol products especially to china and there's the low carbon fuel policy that could open up some uh, possibilities so those are some big ifs but at least it's kind of lining up to be the potentially much better year than last year was. Uh, you know, I don't know that many years could be worse than 2019 was for a lot of us uh, in a lot of different places, and certainly the ethanol industry was was one of those spots. We had some we had some bright moments, but we also had some some really difficult times. We have a lot of plants shut down. I hear from from growers, uh, you know, hey, I've, I've been delivering to this plant for years and years, and they're they're shut down, and that's that's not a good thing for for our folks. So much though still in the hands of EPA. And we're hoping that the recent court ruling will get them to change their approach to these small refinery exemptions. Do you think Andrew Wheeler and the folks at EPA yet understand the concerns that are still out there? It's almost like they have a feeling, well, you, know, we get, you got E15 year-round. Uh, aren't you happy with that? They don't seem to get the full picture here. Well, I think they're getting a full picture from a lot of different people. Uh, you know, the, the oil industry has a lot of sway in this administration. Certainly they're listening to them, as they ought to. Uh, but they, they are listening to us, but maybe not as much as, as they could. You know, I, I think that the court case, uh, we're very hopeful that it sets a precedent uh, and that EPA says, you know, we, we, can't be, we can't be doing this the way we've been doing it. And if we can get them to stop. Uh, that would be helpful. You know, I'm looking at this next year kind of in three buckets. See, it's stop the bad stuff, the, the, the exemptions. Uh, what can we do short term to move a lot of ethanol? The export market is there. I mean, we could do a billion gallons of, of ethanol into, into China in, in three or four months pretty easily, and, and, and they could use it. And then it's the longer term. Uh, what do we do with expanding uh, low-carbon, uh, high-octane fuels? Uh, what do we do with... Uh, blender pumps you know what what can we do in addition to get the infrastructure there for uh the long-term uh continued use of ethanol talking with john doggett ceo of the national corn growers association there's no doubt the climate change discussion is not going away and that's why this low carbon fuel policy especially if it expands into more states offers a great opportunity for the biofuels industry Absolutely, and, and the corn plant is a wonderful plant. It, it, you know, through photosynthesis, it takes carbon out of the out of the air, puts it in the soil, which is good for the soil, and in the meantime, it, it produces uh, protein and energy. And that uh, that is is it's remarkable uh, the changes we've had in our industry. Uh, one of our board members says, if you haven't been on a corn farm in the last five years, you haven't been on a corn farm. And, and that's so true. The technology that our folks are using uh, is amazing. And the fact that we can address what is one of the most pressing issues uh, in, around the world is a pretty great opportunity. I want to give credit where I think credit's due here. NCGA, you have reached out to work with some other groups that maybe have not always 
been thought of as great allies to agriculture, but you're building some uh, good coalitions. Sure, and, and we, we did a, a memorandum of understanding with the Environmental Defense Fund a little over a year ago. Uh, that has been a remarkable partnership, you know, and, and they are firm believers in working lands. We believe in working lands. Uh, but I'll just give you an example. I, I was went to their board meeting and, and had dinner with, with their board members. Sat next to a very wealthy man uh, in New York City um, who was very interested in oceans, but he started talking to me about conservation tillage. And uh, were farmers using conservation tillage? I said, no, they are using. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're doing it now. He said he wanted to know if they were starting it. So, uh, but I said, you know what? That has just changed our industry. But if we lose glyphosate or Roundup, all of that goes away. And a staff member for EDF on the other side of this gentleman said, John's right. If farmers lose Roundup, all of their the good stewardship that they have done for the last 25 years goes away because they're going to have to start plowing. Environmental Defense Fund said that. Yes, sir. Wow. Now, we would not have had that if we hadn't had this partnership. And that gentleman has been very good at explaining to, to his folks the importance of that partnership. And I've been explaining the por- importance of the partnership to our folks. But when we did that, we had we had uh, the board members, uh, our board members had three concerns. One was, what are they going to do on GMOs? What are they going to do on ethanol? And how do I take this back to the coffee shop? Hmm. So it's been interesting in talking to the folks at EDF, you know, what they what their board concern is. What are we going to have to do on, e, uh, on GMOs? What are we going to have to do uh, on, on ethanol? And what about our funders? Their coffee shop. Everybody has a coffee shop. You know, if we all get out of our own coffee shops and you know, maybe pack a thermos and start having conversations with one another, the thing that has struck me over and over again with working with EDF is how much we have in common, not how many things we have in di- that, that, mm-hmm. we, that we are uh, of differing opinions on. Very interesting. Talking with John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. Another area, I think, of, of hope for corn growers, not happy with corn prices now, but for the possibility looking forward, is this demand for protein around the world and a strong demand right here domestically as well. The more things change, the more they stay the same in some ways. Livestock industry has always been the key market for, for corn growers. And it looks like could that could be a growing market moving forward. May walk some of that corn off the farm. Oh, absolutely! And and we were in uh, with the U.S. Grains Council uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in Vietnam and in uh, Myanmar. Uh, those folks, you know, they eat a lot of rice. They want a little chicken in that rice, or they want a little pork in that rice. Uh, we saw that over and over again. They are building a, a livestock industry in those countries. Uh, it's just phenomenal. We went to a, a chicken processing plant in uh, outside of Hanoi, processing uh, 250,000 birds a week. They are building another plant on the Cambodian border to process 2.5 million birds every week. And that comes online later this year. All those birds are going to eat some corn. They're going to eat some soy uh, meal. They're going to eat some DDGs. You know, that area of the world, uh, southeast uh, Asia, outside of, outside of China, there's 750 million people. All we need to do is get them to each eat a few more pounds of protein every year and and add to that, we've got a heck of a market there. And uh, they they want to do business with us. They they want to do business with Americans. And it's all about relationships. They, they want to know who they're buying their corn from. They want to come to this country and see those farms. They want us to go talk to them. So it's been, uh, it gives me a great deal of encouragement. 
some other uh, victories, if you will, or at least uh, steps in that direction, the new Waters of the U.S. rule. I know that uh, you're looking forward to that process as we have to deal with some legal challenges, it looks like, ahead, but that we're getting closer. Well, you know, and, and, and we need to remember that, that who started this, and, and, and the, the fingers point at, at us and others. Uh, the American Farm Bureau Federation, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and the National Corn Growers Association went to the Obama administration and said, you know what, this guidance that, that EPA has to delineate wetlands, it's confusing. It's not being applied uh, uniformly. We would like to see a rule that takes some of that uncertainty out and devolves more of that, that uh, to the states. Well, we got a rule, but it was not the rule we were looking for. But we still need to have a rule. We still need to have some um, some ability for uh, people that go out and do delineations to clearly understand what it, what those things are in, and in that process to be working with state, state officials. Seems to be some possibilities of some infrastructure improvement funding this year and already we're hearing about uh, some improvements uh, for the lower mississippi that's that's key we talk a lot about trade but we got to be able to move the product to those countries sure if we can't get if we can't get that grain on a boat boat um you know we there's no reason to have the, the grain we have to we have to do something about infrastructure in this country um the, the Chinese are doing the you know the Belt and Road investments all over the world. They are they're building ports in in Brazil, Myanmar, Vietnam, uh, everywhere they they can find a place that they can do an investment in. They're doing it, and we're not even investing in our own country. It's it's too bad. Well, there is something in the president's budget proposal, uh, money for infrastructure certainly, but there are concerns about some cuts he's proposing. But budget proposals. That's what they are, proposals, and we know that uh, that's what's proposed isn't what it ends up. But uh, did you see anything that kind of red flag to you when you saw those proposals come out? You know, we always look at, at uh, you know, again, this administration, the previous administrations have always tried to cut crop insurance. They've tried to cut, the, you know, uh, SNAP programs, that, you know, and there's a lot of things. I, one of the concerns I have, Mike, is that we continue to hollow out uh, the career professionals in some of our agencies and departments. Um, and you know, nobody likes uh, Washington bureaucrats, but you know what? Those are the folks that make decisions on um, is, a, is a GMO trait approved? Uh, how do we re-register chemicals? All of those things are a process that need people to, that know what they're doing to do. And, and you know, we've, we've seen some major cuts at USDA and some huge cuts at EPA. Um, we just need good people in those in those places. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Mike. See you at Commodity Classic soon in San Antonio. It's coming right up. All right, very good. John Doggett, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. Stay with us. We'll wrap up our coverage of the National Ethanol Conference in Houston next with the chairman of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, back here at the National Ethanol Conference in Houston as we wrap things up, and the conference is wrapping up as well, just kind of some themes that we have heard here. Uh, There is some guarded optimism that 2020 will be better for the ethanol industry than 2019. And we've talked about some of the things uh, that we that the industry is pointing to. They're hoping for improvements in the uh, small refinery exemptions policy. They're looking for greater exports. And uh, they're thinking the low-carbon fuel policy being instituted by some states uh, will uh, create some new demand. I'm joined now by Jerry Hagstrom from the Hagstrom Report. You hear him on Adams on Agriculture quite a bit, and he's been here covering this conference. Jerry, thanks for joining us. I just talking about uh, some guarded optimism that this could be a, a a rebound year for the ethanol industry. Is that what you're hearing too? Uh, yes, that's what's most impressive to me about this meeting is that is that uh, the industry, or at least Jeff Cooper, who heads the Renewable Fuels Association, is much more optimistic. I was also intrigued that Bob Deneen, the former head of the RFA, said that uh, all the years he was president, he never had a never had a week like uh, Jeff Cooper had in December when all those decisions came down, including the the extension of the bio uh, biodiesel credit, etc. Uh, and that he uh, hopes that uh, th- that this year will be better, and th- that started off with the with that court decision, that uh, RFA is hoping that that the uh, EPA will make national. We'll have to see what happens there, uh, but it's uh, certainly an auspicious beginning for the industry for this year. Yeah, a lot of ifs there, but if they all come together, or even some of them come together, it would certainly be an improvement over 2019. Right. Uh, well, the court decision seems to be the most important. Uh, the fact that these three uh, small refinery exemptions uh, were deemed illegal by the court uh, uh, is, a, is a sign that the, uh, the Trump administration may be reined in in the, the issuance of these, of these uh, exemptions. Jerry, good to see you again. I know you're headed to the crop insurance uh, meeting, right? That should be That's interesting right. based on the uh, president's budget proposal. Yes, I'm sure that they'll be hoping that uh, once again they can thwart what President Trump has proposed. All right, good to see you. Safe travels. Okay. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. And joining us now is Bob Deneen. He is the Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association and uh, longtime president and CEO of RFA. And always good to talk with one of my uh my ethanol mentors good to see you again oh it's great to be with you mike how are things very good uh we were just talking about the guarded optimism that 2020 is going to be a better year for the ethanol industry some would say well it can't be much worse but uh there are some things that are really hit, seem to have the industry back headed in the right direction again well I, i'm not even sure that the optimism is all that guarded anymore quite frankly uh when you you see what uh has been done with the Tenth Circuit decision, sending a pretty clear signal that small refiner exemptions are uh, soon to be extinct. Uh, when you see what uh, uh, is happening on some of the trade fronts, mm-hmm. uh, I think that there's a much better chance we're going to see a return to the export levels we've had over the past several years. Uh, you know, any growth in China is going to be 
uh, very helpful. Uh, having some clarity with respect to uh, Canada and Mexico with that agreement uh, is certainly going to be helpful. So, you know, <laughs> you walk around this room and, uh, no, the optimism is not too guarded. It's, it's pretty much out there. The low-carbon fuel policy we've talked about as states like California have adopted it. Others are looking at it, and there's effort, as we talked about yesterday, to get uh, some things going in Midwestern states. What do you see as the potential there for I ethanol? Think, I think the potential is huge. First of all, um, in Washington, D.C., it's, it's safe once again to start talking about carbon. Uh, I think no matter what November brings in terms of the elections, uh, there is going to be a, a much greater focus on carbon reduction moving forward. The fact that the Midwest states are uh, thinking about putting a marker down and establishing a program that absolutely allows for a growing role for biofuels, specifically ethanol, uh, is important. I mean, the California program uh, has indeed been uh, surprisingly good in terms of not just creating a market for ethanol, but uh, establishing that corn-based ethanol can indeed uh, be a carbon reduction strategy. Forty percent of the carbon reductions in that California program uh, are attributable to corn-based ethanol. Uh, so, you know, California, while perhaps not uh, our most enthusiastic advocates, has indeed established that uh, corn-based ethanol has a role. Now, the Midwest folks that are looking at a carbon program can build upon the success of that California program and design a program that, uh, with uh, newer science, uh, but uh, you know, a regulatory structure that clearly demonstrates that corn-based ethanol can be the foundation upon which we are going to secure greater carbon reductions in the future uh, and not be dependent upon uh, the coast for uh, you know, how ethanol can, can play in these programs, I think is going to be really, really important. I do find it somewhat ironic that that low-carbon fuel policy in California, once thought of almost as a threat to the ethanol industry, is actually working in the ethanol industry's favor and setting a, a precedent or a model that other states can, can use. Mike, I remember being at meetings in which uh, the director of the California Resources Board mocked the role of corn ethanol and and stated quite plainly that the future in California was to eliminate corn-based ethanol. Uh, and, you know, over the last two years, the California Resources Board has sort of had to acknowledge that, oh, by the way, corn-based ethanol has been critical in our success. And that's been a remarkable change. It really has been. Good to see you again, my friend. Mike, it's always good to see you. Right. Thank you. Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association, as we wrap it up here at the National Ethanol Conference in Houston. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. You're listening to AOA. AOA.